I want you to open to Isaiah chapter 60, and we're going to read some familiar verses, verses 1 to 4. Isaiah 60, from verse 1 to 4. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the arm. Now, this is one of many prophecies. You find this quite commonly, uh, especially in the prophet Isaiah, where I think you can see multiple levels of fulfillment of the same prophecy. And I personally believe this is a good example of a prophecy that has what we sometimes call a dual fulfillment. It has a future fulfillment specifically concerning Israel. And I think it refers to a specific period of time that we would normally identify as the millennial reign, where Jerusalem will be the capital of the world, Israel will be the chief of nations on the earth. But I also see a fulfillment of these prophetic words in our time, right now, in the church age, and I'll explain that more in a minute, but we see two things happening simultaneously. The, the earth and the peoples of the earth are going from darkness to thick darkness, there's a, there's a progressive darkness coming upon the peoples of the earth. At the very same time, there's an increasing light and glory that's rising upon God's people. Notice again, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. And this isn't just some weather phenomenon. Thick darkness is over the peoples. This is obviously a reference to some sort of spiritual darkness, a thick darkness that is predicted will come upon the peoples of the earth. And I looked up this word darkness. It has a variety of meanings which include the following. Misery destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, and wickedness. It's quite a list. Misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, and wickedness. And in verse 2, it uses the word twice. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness, that's a different word, Thick darkness is over the peoples. Depending on your translation, it may say gross darkness or dense darkness. Whatever the case, it seems, and I think we'll find a number of New Testament verses tonight to back this up, God has predicted that in these last days, there are going to be two things happening simultaneously. The people of God are going to be shining more and more brightly. The church is going to arise more and more radiant, more and more glorious, at the same time that the unbelievers, the whole fallen world system, seems to go from bad to worse. It seems to get progressively more dark, more wicked, more evil and more ignorant of the things of God. And 
I want to take you to another scripture that we've often looked at, and it's found in the book of Romans, where I think you can also see this kind of a progression, a downward progression that is predicted in the world in these last days, while the church is ascending, while the church is becoming more glorious, more radiant, more full of God's light. And we begin in Romans 1 and verse 18 and onwards. Romans 1, beginning with verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now just pause there for a minute. Uh, Lest we be deceived by the modern culture, make no mistake about it, God is not neutral when it comes to ungodliness, wickedness, and sin. He feels very strongly and very passionately about these matters, and it uses a strong word here, the wrath of God, the anger, the the strong displeasure of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness, all wickedness of men. And this is a key to this whole passage and, and to understand this passage, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It doesn't say they're ignorant of the truth. It says they suppress the truth. And it goes on to explain that in some detail. And if you're not real familiar... If you're not familiar with Romans 1, if you're hearing something in the background, that's my wife listening to the broadcast on her smartphone. (laughs) Romans 1, verse 18 and onwards. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. This is a very important passage of Scripture for all of us to study carefully and to really meditate on because I think it it reveals a lot of important things that we need to understand in these last days. It, It says that this godlessness and wickedness that God is so angry about it centers around the fact that people are going to suppress what they already know about God. They suppress the truth. And then verse 19, it says, since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. And verse 20 tells us how. Since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. I love that. God has made absolutely certain that every man, woman, and child on every continent, every island, wherever they may be, he's made it absolutely clear to them who he is. And it's simply through his creation. And we are told in verse 20 at the end there, so that men are without excuse. And we've addressed this uh, in the past several weeks. The the growing divide between Christians who believe the truth and the rest of mankind that are sinking deeper and deeper into ignorance, into blindness, and into total disregard for the truth of God. And the creation alone, 
just looking at the birds, the fish, the mountains, the skies, the rain, the snow. God says that we are without excuse. There is a clear witness, a clear revelation of God just in the creation around us. And to deny all that and to say we believe in some force of evolution and random chance events that brought about all of this amazing design everywhere we look in the creation. It's a deliberate act of wickedness where we are suppressing the truth and while what may be known about God is plain, the wickedness of man decides to suppress that and to arrogantly and boldly proclaim, there is no God, God didn't make me, God didn't make anything, there is no God, it's all the product of evolution and random chance. But follow the logic here in these scriptures. Verse 20 ends again with, men are without excuse. And now we come to this part about darkness. Verse 21, For although they knew God, it doesn't say they didn't know God, they knew God. That's why if you've heard me teach on this before, I don't believe there is such a thing as an atheist. There can't possibly be an atheist if you believe these verses in Romans 1. Quite the contrary, they knew God and they chose not to worship Him and they chose to suppress that knowledge of God that was already inside their hearts. Verse 21 again. Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their, but in their thinking they became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice that. Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And I want you to notice in the verses that follow here, there's a progressive uh, increasing darkness. And I'm, I'm tying this all back to where we began in Isaiah 60, that there's going to be an ever-increasing darkness as we draw closer and closer to the coming of the Lord. And here's the, the next stage of this progression into deeper and thicker darkness. Because they chose not to worship God, to glorify God, or to uh, acknowledge God as their creator, verse 24 says, therefore God gave them over. Notice God is the one in charge here. God is the one who is deliberately acting in response to this wickedness and godlessness of men. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. So, the next phase in this downward spiral into darkness, God gives them over to sexual impurity. And I, I don't even need to comment on that. I think we're all well aware of the darkness that's not only here in the United States, but across the world. Remember, Isaiah said there'll be thick darkness upon the earth and upon the peoples. This is that next level of darkness where people are just given over 
to every form of sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another, and instead of loving God, embracing the truth of God, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And instead of worshiping and serving the Creator, they worship and serve created things. Every form of idolatry is represented here. Then there's another level that follows after this in this progression into deeper and thick, thicker darkness. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. So this next level we're also witnessing with increasing acceleration, both across the United States and around the world, this plunging into every kind of sexual perversion, homosexual activities, homosexual marriage, uh, every kind of perversion is included in this next phase of God giving them over. He gave them over to this. This was a deliberate act on God's part. And following this a little further, in verse 28 it says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, now, in our culture, there's a, an aggressive move at every level in government, in education, in the media, to remove God from the culture, period. It says, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, and here it comes a third time, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And this is where we're at now in this progression into ever-increasing darkness. We're in this third and final stage now where people are actually coming into a state that God refers to as a depraved mind. Some translations refer to it as a mind void of judgment or just a void mind, a no mind. We can no longer think or reason logically. Um, we, we do things that ought not to be done. And again, this is God's doing. He gave them over to that depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And here's the details of what this third and final phase will entail. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters. Notice that. It doesn't say they're atheists. It says they hate God. They're God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree, notice again, they're not ignorant. They know what they're doing. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. 
Let me draw your attention especially to verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, rather than repent, rather than say, wow, I better stop doing this. This is going to bring death. This is going to bring destruction on my life. Rather than repent, two things happen. And this, I believe, is the evidence of this gross darkness that we're now witnessing coming upon the whole earth. They not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Not only do they continue to do all this terrible laundry list of wickedness and sin, but they actually applaud and approve others who do those same things. Um, There has been such a shift in the culture in the last several years, particularly on this point of homosexuality, homosexual marriage, something that was once taboo, something that was once just totally unacceptable in our culture and in our society, is now not only openly embraced, more and more laws are being passed uh, in favor of homosexual marriage and, and the whole nine yards, but when somebody does these things, they're applauded, and they're treated like a hero. You may have heard just this week in the news, for the first time, a star college football player who is about to enter the NFL professional football draft, he has declared ahead of time that he is homosexual. This is the first time this has happened in professional football. It's already happened in some of the other sports. But as soon as he declared that he was homosexual, he received uh, affirming messages from both the First Lady of the United States and the Vice President of the United States congratulating him on his stand as a homosexual. My friends, this is gross darkness. This is Romans 1, 32. We've now come to the very end of this process where although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. I believe we now have laws in 18 of the 50 states that guarantee gay marriage, homosexual marriage, and there are more to follow. And we need to understand as Christians what is happening. This is not an accident. This is God fulfilling what he promised he would do in Romans 1. When a people, when a nation, when a culture goes away from God and deliberately suppresses the truth of God, refuses to acknowledge God as their creator, begin to embrace all kinds of foolish religions and foolish philosophies, God will keep giving them over to greater and greater darkness. Now, the scriptures are very clear in the New Testament that we're going to see these two things mentioned in Isaiah 60 happening side by side. While this gross darkness is increasing in the world and in the world system, the church, the bride of Christ, is going to be separated out, more and more becoming separate and distinct from all of the confusion, all of the darkness, all of the wickedness in the world, and a greater light, a greater glory will be coming upon the church. And let me draw you to two passages in the New Testament that I believe demonstrate this very clearly. One scripture 
is found in the last chapter of the last book, Revelation chapter 22, verse 11. A very interesting scripture, and I want to read it to you in a couple of different translations. Um, I'm first going to read it in the New King James, or if you have King James, it's probably the same. Revelation 22, verse 11. Revelation 22, verse 11. It says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. It's a fascinating scripture. And I've thought about it a lot over the years, and I've studied what different people have written on this scripture. And there are a variety of interpretations, but the one that seems to make the most sense is basically what we just read. And in no way is God encouraging the unjust to stay unjust. In no way is God encouraging a filthy person to remain filthy. I think what it is stating is in these last days, we're going to see these two groups, both of which are becoming progressively more whatever they are. So if you're unjust, you're going to become unjust still. In other words, even more unjust. If you're filthy, you're going to become even more unfilthy. But at the same time, we're seeing that growth in wickedness and unrighteousness. The righteous will be still more righteous, and the holy will be still more holy. Those of you and myself included, those of us that are hearing the call of God to come out from among them, to be separate, to be holy, to be righteous, to stand for the truth of God, I think there is a promise here for us that God wants us to become still more righteous, still more holy, still more on fire for God. And the sad thing is, it is also predicted in the New Testament that the wicked, the unjust, those groups that we just read about in Romans 1 that refuse to repent, they refuse to acknowledge God, God is going to keep giving them over to deeper and deeper levels of darkness and spiritual blindness, and it should not surprise us when we see that happening in the culture around us. But for me, this verse, Revelation 22:11, is a challenge. When I read this, I say, God help me. I don't want to become unjust. I don't want to become filthy still. I want to become more righteous. I want to become more holy. I want to love God more. I want to get closer to the Lord. I want to seek God more. I want to be more bold in my stand for God and for His truth and for His Word as we draw nearer and nearer to the coming of the Lord. Here's what I see in the book of Revelation. And we don't have time to look at all of these verses, but I think it's clear. What we see in the book of Revelation, as we draw closer and closer to the rapture, to the return of Christ for his people, there are two groups being separated out, and they're becoming more and more separate and more and more distinct. One group is the bride of Christ. She's described in Revelation 21 and 22, She's described in Ephesians 5 as being a glorious church, a radiant church, 
without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Purchased with the blood of the Lamb, washed in the water of the Word, passionately and, and totally yielded and committed to Jesus Christ, espoused to one husband, pure, a holy virgin for Christ. The other group is referred to as the harlot. This is the false church that is also being manifested in these last days. This false church or harlot has committed adultery with the world. There has been compromise, serious compromise with the world, with sin, with uncleanness, and as we'll see in a minute, although this harlot has the form of godliness, it's not true. It's not real. It's fake. And I believe as we get nearer to the time of Christ's return, the separation between these two groups is going to become more and more pronounced. And going back to Genesis 1 for just a moment, you'll notice that as soon as God spoke light into existence, the very next thing that he did was separate light from darkness. That's God's job, is to separate light from darkness. And I believe that's exactly what God is doing in these last days. He's separating the light that is in his bride, in his glorious church, and he's separating her from the darkness, the confusion, the ignorance, and the compromise that is coming upon the world in the form of this thick darkness mentioned in Isaiah chapter 60. Let me take you to another New Testament passage that I believe confirms what we're, what we're speaking about here. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, and we'll begin with verse 1. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Paul writing to Timothy, he says, but mark this. You know, I can almost imagine Timothy getting out his notebook and understanding his teacher saying, write this down, Timothy. Make a note of this in your notebook. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. That's pretty clear. King James says, perilous times, dangerous times. There will be terrible, dangerous times in the last days. And he describes it in quite a bit of detail, just as he did in Romans chapter 1. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. Notice that. They, they affirm evil rather than good. Not lovers of good. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And note very carefully the next verse, verse 5. Having a form of godliness. We often miss that. In the last days, there's not going to be a total giving up of forms of religion. Men will continue to maintain a form of godliness. Oh, they'll, they'll still go to church. They'll still have church. They'll still have some sort of an outward form of being 
godly, being a Christian, or whatever you want to call it, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And Paul speaks very clearly, not only to Timothy, but to you and to me. Have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with them. Let me tell you, just because something's called a church doesn't make it a church. Just because something claims to be godly doesn't mean it's godly. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. We need to be discerning in these last days. We need to know the Word of God. We need to listen carefully to the Holy Spirit who will lead us and guide us into all truth. Let me give you one simple example. If you go online, and I don't even recommend doing this, but if you don't trust me, uh, I encourage you to check it out. Go online and look at the number of homosexual churches. Christian churches that sing power in the blood, they sing amazing grace, they claim to believe in the cross, in the blood of Jesus, they claim to believe in the same gospel that you and I do, and yet they fully embrace the homosexual lifestyle. That, my friends, is a deception. They have a form of godliness, but they are denying the power, they're denying the truth of God's Word. Paul says, have nothing to do with them. They're the kind who worm their way into homes, gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Same thing we read in Romans 1. But notice in the following verses, <clears throat> these people are not content to have their form of godliness. They are very aggressive and active in their opposition to the truth. Verse 8, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. And here comes this same word we read in Romans 1, men of depraved minds. So what we're witnessing now in the world is not just people running after sin and immorality and even homosexual perversion. There's now an active and an aggressive war being waged against the truth. They actively oppose the truth, and these are people with depraved minds. And God says, as far as the faith is concerned, they are rejected. Verse 9, But they will not get very far, because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You know, that scripture really encourages me. God is going to do something in these last days. He is going to manifest clearly the difference between light and darkness. And he's going to give an opportunity to those who may be trapped in the middle. Maybe they've made some compromises and they're a little bit confused. But he's going to make it clear to everyone so that those who love the truth will be able to come out from among them and be separate. To separate themselves from darkness, compromise, and confusion and come over to the side of truth and light and godliness. But I need to be very clear here tonight. The church of Jesus Christ has been greatly compromised. And we've spoken about this the past few Wednesday nights, and I'm not going to go into all that again. But the church has been greatly compromised 
even on some of those basic foundational truths that we studied. God is the creator. God made them male and female. God ordained marriage between a man and a woman. God made man in his own image and likeness. There has been very, very serious compromise in the church on some of these important, basic, foundational truths. But verse 9 says, In these last days, God is going to expose their folly and make it clear to everyone. But then in verse 10 and onwards, it addresses you and me. Those of us who are called out, we're called to be the church, the bride of Christ, true disciples of Jesus Christ. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, yes, and even my persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, if you're not paying some kind of a price for being a Christian, I think you need to take a closer look at your walk with God. Because as this darkness in the world becomes increasingly thick, if you and I are going to stand out as salt and light, and the glory of the Lord is going to arise and shine upon us, uh, we're going to be persecuted. There's a price to pay. There's a cross to carry if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in these last days. And we need to be bold, and we need to be proud to carry the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you're suffering something for being a Christian, you know, read the early chapters of the book of Acts. They jumped for joy that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And if we're suffering even a little bit of rejection from co-workers, if maybe we're not getting that big promotion at work because the boss knows we're a believer and he doesn't want to promote us, <clears throat> praise God, jump up and down for joy that you're being persecuted for Jesus. Because it says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ is going to be persecuted. But notice very carefully verse 13. This goes hand in hand with what we saw in Romans 1 and in Revelation 22:11, that there's a progression of evil just as there's a growth in righteousness and holiness in these last days, and it's happening side by side. While Christians are getting more and more holy, more and more uh, convinced, more and more committed to the cause of Christ, verse 13 says, evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse. Wow. Will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But, as for you, continue in what you have learned. I like that. As for you, continue in what you have learned. I'm sorry, I lost my place here. Give me a moment. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, 
correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, while the wheat is growing, so are the tares. While the righteous are becoming still more righteous, so the wicked, the filthy, the evil, as it says here in verse 13, they're going from bad to worse. So it, it shouldn't shock us, not that we're happy to see it, but it shouldn't shock us when we see greater and greater wickedness, evil, violence, depravity, and perversion in the world as we get closer and closer to the coming of the Lord. But make no mistake, this message that I'm sharing with you tonight, I don't want you to be discouraged. It doesn't discourage me. It encourages me. And I'm going to explain to you why now. Let's go back to the scripture we started with in Isaiah 60. Isaiah chapter 60, and I want to read verses 1 and 2 again. Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 2. It starts off addressing the people of God. And God is speaking. And He says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and His glory appears over you. By the way, notice in verse 2, God wants us to see the darkness. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of what's happening in the world. doesn't mean we need to dwell on it, but He wants us to see what's happening in the world. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples. But he also wants us to understand something else very important. I believe there's a last day's anointing, there's a last day's light and glory that God has reserved for this final generation of believers who has to stand in the midst of this thick darkness. Romans 5 tells us where sin abounds, there does grace much more abound. I believe as sin abounds more and more in these final days, there's an abounding grace available to you and me. And I believe these words speak very clearly to the bride of Christ, to the church. This is no time to go into hiding. This is no time to be scared, to go into our little shell and hide our light under the bushel. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. The Lord rises upon you, and His glory appears over you. I am claiming this for myself. I'm claiming this for every believer. That in these last days, we will be more bold. We will be more passionate. We'll be more on fire for God. We will be more unafraid to stand up in the marketplace, on the internet, on the telephone, or wherever and proclaim, shout it from the housetops, that Jesus Christ is Lord. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. I believe there's a greater glory, there's a greater power, there's a greater uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit for those who understand their calling. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. The Spirit and the Bride are one. The, the, the Bride of Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, 
full of the light and the glory of God is arising and shining in these last days. This is no time for us to be silent. This is no time for us to go into hiding. This is no time to, to be afraid of the, the wicked and the darkness and all of the evil in the, in the earth. This is our hour to rise up and to shine for Jesus Christ. And when we do that, notice what God says is going to happen. Isaiah 60 again, verses 3 and 4. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the arm. In these last days, there are going to be many that finally wake up, their eyes are finally opened, the blindness is lifted off them, and they're going to come to the light. And they're going to see that light in the church. They're going to see that light in you and me. And that's why God is telling us, rise up, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is rising upon you. Finally, I want us to look again in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning at verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 5, and notice several things about this passage. First of all, it's a clear reference to the last days, the end times in which we are. Secondly, notice the contrast repeatedly here between light and darkness, light and darkness. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning at verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. <coughs> Reminds me of what we talked about last week, the flood of Noah. Jesus said, just before the destruction of the flood came in Noah's day, the people were marrying and giving in marriage, eating and drinking, partying, having a grand time. And then suddenly, the flood wiped them out and destroyed them. This is how it's going to be once again, in these last days, while everybody's saying, peace and safety, oh, there's no judgment coming, there's no rapture, there's no tribulation, we can do whatever we want. While they're saying peace and safety, safety destruction is going to come suddenly, and they will not escape. Verse 4, but you, brothers, notice the contrast between the light and the darkness, between the church and the rest of the world. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Hebrews says, if we're really walking in the light, if we're really walking with the Lord, we should see that day approaching. We should see with each passing day how much closer we are to the coming of the Lord. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. 
But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now, let me take you back to a couple of things here. In verse 5 and 6, Paul, Paul's main interest here, and my main interest tonight, is to address Christians. It's to talk to the believers. And he says, You are sons of light. You're sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Remember, God separates light from darkness. Why do we want to belong to the night? Why do we want to compromise with the world and with the fallen world system? We do not belong to it. We don't belong to the night. We don't belong to the darkness. And then he's very clear in verse 6. So then let us not be like others who are asleep but let us be alert and self-controlled. Let me emphasize one phrase there in verse 6, just to help get this point across. Let us not be like others. Period. We need to stop copying the world, imitating the world, trying to be like everybody in the world. We're not called to that. We're called to be separate, distinct, different. We are called to be light, not darkness. The church needs to repent for all of the compromise that we've made with the world, with the darkness of this world, with all of these things that we've been talking about, immorality, homosexuality, all these things that are against the truth of God's Word, we need to stop compromising with these things. We need to come out and be bold and clear witnesses of the light and the truth. Let us not be like others. Verse 7, For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Now, I don't think this is merely a reference to drinking alcohol or getting high on marijuana or some other kind of drug. But you know, it's interesting, even on this point, the church has been greatly compromised. I hear more and more of how even in charismatic, Pentecostal, Spirit-filled churches, there's more and more of what is called social drinking being endorsed and embraced. And I've heard some very sad stories, first-hand stories from pastors that are close to me who have been to other pastors' homes, have been to even fellowships, with pastors and church leaders where they are drinking wine and getting drunk. We're not of that group. We need to repent. We need to come out from among them. We need to be separate. We need to be light. We do not belong to the night. We do not belong to the drunkards. Those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. I've been prophesying this, and I'm telling you, it's already happening. These places where marijuana has been legalized, and it's coming to Maryland, it's coming to D.C., it's coming to Virginia. Get ready. It's just a matter of time. 
the politicians will eventually cave in on this. I don't care if it's legal or not, but many many churches now in places where dope and marijuana are legal, they're now having their Bible studies, their times of prayer and fellowship, and they're smoking dope and getting high all at the same time. My friends, we need to be very clear on this point. We do not belong to the night. We do not belong to the darkness. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk or those who get high, they get drunk at night. Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Verses 9 through 11. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not waiting for the great tribulation. We who are called to be the bride of Christ, we're waiting to escape in the rapture, to escape all this coming tribulation. Why? Because God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, now he's talking about whether we're alive or dead there, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And in closing, I want to go back to our opening scripture again, and I want to encourage you tonight, anybody who's listening to this, the call of God to us is to arise, to shine, for our light has come. The glory of the Lord is going to rise upon us in these last days. And I don't care about the darkness. Darkness is going to cover the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples. It's over the politicians. It's over the government leaders. It's over the president, the White House, the Congress, the Senate, the Supreme Court. Darkness is coming upon the peoples. Thick darkness. But God is calling you and me to stand up, to be separate, to arise and shine, to be filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the light and the glory of God. The Lord is going to arise upon us, and His glory is going to appear over us. And I believe we're going to see many people coming out of the darkness, coming out of the confusion of the world, coming to the brightness of the light, coming to the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's pray tonight. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement that your word gives to us. Lord, the things that we're witnessing in the earth today, they didn't take you by surprise. You knew everything that was going to happen in these last days. You predicted that just as it was in the days of Lot, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, and in the days of Noah, so it would be in these last days, the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And surely, Lord, we see gross, thick darkness coming upon the earth, spiritual blindness, violence, wickedness, every form of idolatry, every form of witchcraft and delusion and deception and idol worship. But God, in the midst of this darkness, I pray that you would raise up a glorious church, a bride without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, a holy church full of the Spirit of God, a holy church on fire for God. Lord, I pray for that greater light and that greater glory to come upon us in these last days. God, deliver us from fear. Deliver us from compromise. Deliver us from weakness and discouragement. Strengthen us. Quicken us. 
Make us bold, O God, to, to shine as lights in this dark world, O God. Lord, cause us to be that city on a hill that you speak about in the Sermon on the Mount. Cause us to be salt and light in this final generation. Lord, I pray for each and every one participating in this Bible study tonight. Lord, let them feel the encouragement of your Holy Spirit. Let them feel the power of God coming upon them, O God, a fresh and a new anointing to be the church, to be the witnesses that you've called us to be. <clears throat> and Father, I pray that in these last days, there would be a manifestation of the truth and the light, and many would repent and come out of the darkness into the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, you're not willing that any perish, but that all would repent and come to a knowledge of the truth. Lord, I pray for government leaders. I pray for the, the teachers and the educators in the public education system. I pray for professors on college campuses <clears throat> and universities across this nation and throughout the world. I pray that they would repent for their ignorance, for their suppression of the truth. They would turn back to the God of truth, and to the truth of God. They would turn back to acknowledging God as their creator, the word of God as the absolute authority on all truth. God, turn us from blindness, ignorance, and wickedness, and turn us back to the truth of your word. Father, we praise you tonight for calling us to be your church calling us to be your bride. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us, that you are filling us, that your glory and your light is coming upon us in increasing measure in these final moments of time. Lord, we know that you will finish the good work you started in us. You will prepare each and every one of us for that final climactic moment when the last trump sounds and your church triumphant is raptured to meet you in the air. God, we're excited, we're encouraged, we're full of hope as we look forward to that day. Bless and encourage each and every one now tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all of the saints said, Amen, Amen.